to IEP Radio, a show dedicated to the education of all things indoor environmental quality related. And now here's your host, Michael Schrantz. Welcome to IEP Radio. This is episode 25. Today's uh, interview is a little special for me. Uh, I'll be interviewing my wife, uh, my beautiful bride, who has been a realtor for over seven years. She's an associate broker at Omni Homes International. She holds an accredited buyer representative designation and the National Association of Realtors Green designation. She also mentors new agents at her brokerage. She has a bachelor's and master's degree in aeronautical science. Uh, before real estate, she worked in an airport administration and part of her job included obtaining new grant money and overseeing multi-million dollar construction projects. Uh, she's an accomplished pilot and is a certified flight instructor. Those are the cool parts about her. But what I really want to talk about uh, with Jennifer today is her experience with working with folks with chronic illness. As a realtor, uh, she has the knowledge and experience to um, sort through the minutiae, the challenges that somebody with chronic illness faces. And that's been something that's been a hot topic uh, for those of you listening who have a chronic illness, trying to um, figure out, is my realtor and I, are we on the same page? Are they, do they put my interests first or are they just looking for that bottom line commission? Um, there's no playbook here that says that in every situation when buying or considering to buy a home that you need to go in this particular order. For a multitude of reasons, which you'll hear about in our interview today, uh, there are things that may make you decide to walk uh, after pursuing a home or may uh, invite you to explore further. So, in getting through the minutiae and clearing up some of the confusion with where your realtor should be and, 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 and how your realtor can be a really good advocate for you, you're basically your ambassador. I'm excited to bring Jennifer to the show to provide her knowledge and experience. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, my love. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, Arguably, one of the largest purchases that anybody ever will ever make in their life is the purchase of a home. And that in and of itself, even if you don't have chronic illness, is a very stressful process oftentimes, not knowing really what you're buying, um, you know, just buyer's remorse, the list can go on. But when you have chronic illness, which is a lot of the audience that is watching right now, uh, or any sort of low-dose environmental exposure concern, it, it's a feeling that is, is almost overwhelming. Um, and I would argue that uh, probably one of the top things I hear uh, from uh, clients that I work with uh, is that 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 process that how do I find a home uh, is 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 overwhelming to them. Uh, and then you add into the issue of you know who to work with and I, or they are working with a realtor and their their realtor uh, does not understand chronic illness or doesn't appreciate your concerns that it really can create this um, feeling of uh, disconnect and, and, and fear and to the point where um, a lot of people are reaching out to professionals like us to help them guide indirectly. And what we're realizing is that we really need to get in front of this and try and get the realtors who are kind of your first line of defense uh, better educated, better aware of uh, some of these concerns of chronic illness and, and environmental exposures so that you know they can really have an ambassador, an advocate for them uh, in the field. And so I kind of wanted to start off just a little bit by introducing you to the audience and letting them know, um, you know, what is your background? I, you, you, obviously, this isn't your first rodeo uh, in working with people who have chronic illness. And what are some of the big challenges that you see um, uh, across the board? So one of the probably the biggest challenge is finding obviously a, a house that's healthy for them. And that changes depending on who we're talking to. So everybody, whether they have chronic illness or not, are looking for specific things in, in a house. And when they do have a chronic illness, some of those items change from, you know, obviously everyone wants to like their kitchen and like the backyard and all these things, but it changes to that stuff isn't as important as a health, as a house that's healthy for them. So um, we're looking sometimes at different things when we go to a house than, than those items. Like give the, the uh, yeah, no, for sure. Give the, give the audience a couple of examples. Do you have any like real life case examples that you can offer of what might be a con in contrast to your traditional, normal, healthy 
uh, buyer versus somebody who suffers from chronic illness? Earlier this year, I actually had some buyers who they have some um, chemical sensitivities and also um, some with mold, some mold sensitivities. And so their big thing was it's usually when we walk into a house, we can see how it smells. And normally that's a red flag as on if this house is going to work for them or not. So what we did was I actually went and previewed all the houses before they even ever came to see a house to make sure that it didn't have a weird smell, that it didn't smell musty or, you know, moldy. Um, and because of her chemical sensitivities, I wanted to also make sure that it wasn't, there weren't cabinets or flooring or carpet or paint that were off-gassing. So a lot of houses, you know, before they come on the market, people do things to fix them up new paint, carpet, things like that. Or sometimes it's maybe a flip. And so we have all of those things that are new. Um, so what I did was I went to all these houses. I took video, virtual house hunting is becoming really popular, not just among people who have chronic illness, but I work with a lot of people who are out of state and can't make it here to see the house right away. Maybe it goes on the market and they think it's the perfect house. So we have to go see it right away. Um, so I do a lot of that anyway. So I took video, I went in, and if I smelled anything, I made notes about it. Even on the video, I'd walk around with my phone, holding it, walking around and saying, yeah, this house smells, or I see some water damage in a corner of the, of the living room or outside. If I see a lot of damaged fascia, which maybe there was some water leaks, and overall looking at the general condition of the home too, if it looks like the house has been well taken care of, then that's a good thing. But if I see lots of obvious um, maintenance issues that haven't been taken care of, then that's a red flag, especially for someone with chronic illness. Um, and if it looks like it's been freshly painted, that's another thing I look at because I don't know what they painted over. So were there water leaks, were there water stains on the ceiling or on the walls that we don't now get to see? So sometimes a house that isn't freshly put together is almost better than one that is painted and new carpet and all of that. Kind of like looking at its true colors, so to speak, and right. being able to see things that are, you know, we don't want to treat this like it's a crime scene, but in some respect, that's kind of what you're looking for is you're looking for the evidence. You you don't want there to be any, of course, uh, because right. you don't want there to be any problems. So this is a, a pre-screen, uh, if you will. We're not even talking about signing a contract or making an offer. Uh, right. I'll, I'll let you school the audience here on the proper terminology, but this is just literally you having access to homes with people who might have logistical limitations, the ability to get up and mobilize and look at these homes. Um, getting to know the client's expectations, what their concerns are, the same way your clinician would. The first thing they do when you walk into their office is a client intake, see what they know about you, what are the underlying issues or concerns. Uh, in the case of the example uh, you're talking about, which I'm familiar with, of course, um, the one individual had more of a chemical sensitivity. Uh, the other individual that was the partner had more of a mold sensitivity and the idea of looking at low-hanging fruits because in this particular case, um, the one individual who was chemically sensitive, uh, was, it was extreme. Uh, it was to the point and they, it made it very clear that like, here's the deal. This is my reality. I'm, I'm extremely chemically sensitive. Uh, even new paint is a potential deal breaker. So the ability to have a, a, a realtor going back to that part that can pre-screen and rule in and rule house is one, is one way to relieve some of the stress, uh, which I think is We didn't want to make her sick either. Some of these houses could have made her sick for days as she's recovering just from something she smelled in this house. And so we didn't want her to be exposed to all these different houses if she didn't have to. If we walked, if I walked in and I saw this wasn't going to be a good house for her, then there was no point in her coming to see it. So in this case, we narrowed it down based on the video and the pre-screening that I did and the conversations with them, we narrowed it down from, I think it was 10 houses that I saw in one day to one house. And they went and came and saw that one house and ended up making an offer on it. And they moved in in July. Yeah, right. So walk the audience through the the, the juicy details, or at least the stuff you're able to share 
in that really real example, you, they went to this initial screen, again, just as a real a quick recap, understanding what their sensitivities were, trying to be mindful of potential obvious exposures. In the case of chemicals, it was more, um, it was easier for you to experience because, you know, the house had did or did not have these symptoms, if you will, smell of fresh paint or carpeting. Um, and in the case of water damage, um, you don't need to have uh, my background uh, to see a water stain. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal breaker, which we'll probably dive into those details a little bit later, uh, you know, just because you see something. But there were some low-hanging fruits um, that were so bad that having a general idea about what these clients were even willing to spend to fix those things or to get into the negotiation games could prove as a deal breaker. So with this particular client, you narrowed it down to one. Obviously, mm-hmm. at that point, they were just, what was the next step then? Did you do anything else? Or is this the time where you make an offer and, and, and start an inspection? What's next? So after we went to see it, so they were like, this is crazy, right? We're going to make an offer and we've only seen one house. But I look at houses all the time for not just those clients, but lots of clients. And so knowing the market and knowing what was out there, I was like, I think this would be a great house for you. Knowing what they were looking for, they wanted a house with a view if possible. And this house had that. And it, it within the last couple of years, it had a new kitchen and stuff like that. So even though it wasn't brand new, I mean, two years, it's still pretty good, but it was enough time where things weren't hopefully going to be off gassing anymore. So that eliminated that possibility. No fresh paint, no fresh flooring, things like that. Um, so we did, we made an offer on that house and it got accepted and then we started the inspection process. So let's talk about that a little bit. You've obviously been a huge, um, teacher to me on the intricacies, the complexities involved with all the document exchange and understanding how transactions with homes occur. I want to talk about every state's different a little bit, but in the state of Arizona, we called, uh, we have what's called a spuds report. Can you tell the audience for a couple minutes what that is and how you get access to it and what information is useful that you could get from that type of a report? So we call it SPUDS. That's the slang term for it. It's the Seller's Property Disclosure Statement is what SPDS stands for. Um, And it's something that the seller fills out. I think it's seven pages. And it asks all sorts of questions about the property. So, you know, how long have you lived there? When was the house built? Um, Has there ever been any pets that have lived there? Have you had issues with insects or reptiles? When was last time it had termite treatment? Basically anything you could think of that you would want to know about a house before you buy it. So the seller fills that out and then gives it to the buyer, usually within five days of contract acceptance, if not sooner. Um, we'd like to see it earlier. When I list a house, I usually have it before we list the house. So that way a potential buyer can view it and see if there's anything alarming on there that would maybe prevent them from wanting to buy the house. Um, but we usually have it within the inspection period for the, the buyers to review and then they have to sign. That's actually a huge little hashtag slash tip for realtors that are, are doing the listings or representing the sellers. Uh, is that to think ahead and be proactive that getting that SPUDS report, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, ahead of time and and completed is beneficial uh, to the buyer uh, because the buyer may see something on it in the beginning stages that is a big deal breaker. Uh, We had a whole house flood and my uncle John dried it out. Okay. (laughs) You know, a lot of concerns there. A lot of unknowns that might, you know, maybe you're not going to go through with three or four different types of inspections and you could have saved hundreds of dollars. So just a little side note for the listing agent that that might be a benefit, but you don't have control on that as the buyer's agent. It, you, you hope to obviously get that and it happens during the contract period. The takeaway is it's not just about termites and stuff like that, which is obviously huge knowing termites could also indicate that there was water damage uh, in certain cases, but also water and mold. My understanding is that you you are required by law to disclose, uh, in the case of Arizona, uh, a water damage event and or a mold event. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're supposed to disclose um, everything that you know about the property. It's the way I coach my clients when I'm listing a house is it's better to disclose than not to disclose. You can't be sued later over something that you disclose on there. It would be 
an issue if let's say you're like, oh, I'm not going to put on there that we had, you know, the bathrooms flooded and, you know, there was an inch of water through the whole house and all this stuff. They're, they're not going to know, like we took care of it. And then the buyers move in and they, they're outside talking to the neighbor and they're like, oh yeah, two years ago, the whole house flooded. And you're like, wait a second, we didn't know about that. The buyers could come back and see you later if they felt it was a big enough issue. So it's better to disclose everything, even if you think it's minor, because the buyers would wanna know. And I'm like, put yourself in the buyer's position. If you were buying a house, wouldn't you wanna know this information? But at the same time, I also coach my buyers. We have to take this with a grain of salt. They might have forgotten something. They might um, not, they, they might like, think it's not a big deal or they might put the wrong date for something and so realtors were not supposed to help our sellers fill that out I can look through it and I'm like no you bought this house five years ago not seven years ago things like that but we're really not supposed to help our clients fill it out so there might be some discrepancies on there so again we want to take everything with a grain of salt but going back to the water loss issue, if it's something that they filed a claim with their insurance company, we also get a copy of their insurance claim history from the past seven years. Got it. So it gets so to know a little bit more of whether or not this was treated professionally or mm -hmm. privately. Um, and again, it's not the all seeing eye, but it offers a bit of information. And this is uh, an investigative thing. It's we're looking for clues that may indicate that this home is, is worth the purchase, worth the risk because nothing's a guarantee. Even if every box is checked off as being good, uh, it doesn't mean or guarantee recovery is going to occur. Uh, this is an, an unfortunate truth. We're just trying to hedge the bets in your favor. So then let me let me switch gears just a tiny little bit. We're still in the inspection period. This can look a couple different ways. Uh, I certainly can speak from my experience in being involved in uh, environmental assessments uh, for people who have been purchasing homes, uh, that sort of thing. But this is, your approach is different but with a, um, for lack of a better term, a healthy, otherwise not worried about their health or exposure cl uh, client versus somebody with a chronic illness. And part of the biggest challenge is, is try not to waste money. Um, oftentimes people that have chronic illness are also are facing significant bills monthly, sometimes that uh, exceed a, a mortgage payment. Um, and many of the people don't understand that, don't, don't realize that. So what are your guidelines, suggestions, what's your experience as a tactical approach? Once somebody has made that offer, maybe they've done that pre-screen with their realtor to kind of rule in, rule out so that they don't select E, all of the above immediately. And that that's in terms of inspections and all the costs, but maybe they can do it in a strategic manner so that if one inspection identifies something, it gives that person, that client an option to walk. What are your suggestions on that? So in a normal circumstance, we always get a home inspection by a licensed home inspector. And I've used several um, in Tucson who are really great. And I usually recommend an HVAC inspection with a licensed company. They come with, you're, you're probably more familiar with this, but all their gauges and they hook everything up and make sure pressures are good. And they have, you know, it's got enough Freon and if it's, and, and all of that functionality um, basically making yeah. sure it's operating sure the home inspector looks at everything but he's not an hvac licensed person he's not going to bring all that he'll check and make sure the split is good um, and that it overall seems to be functioning well um, but he's not an hvac person and it's not that much more to get a tech out there to do that inspection and in my opinion it's worth it because then they can also give you an estimate of here's the cost Maybe it's something we decide to ask the seller to fix. Maybe it's not, but at least then the buyer has an idea of what this is going to cost to fix. Or we do ask the seller and they say, no, we're not going to fix it. And this now it's on the buyer to do once they close, if they decide to move forward. So where does this fall, though, in the list of all sorts of trades? I mean, I would imagine that if I could use a term, step one would be home inspector, which is a general mm -hmm. overview. Um, and we're, and as you pointed out, um, they generally do um, perhaps the word cursory is a bit light. They might go a little bit deeper, but they're not diagnosing the equipment. They're not looking at the evaporator coil inside of the air conditioning unit to see if there's any microbial growth on it right. or the drain pan. 
how does one determine, I mean, is there to you based off of your experience, no matter what the minimum amount of inspections include a whole house inspection, an HVAC inspection, because that's a, that's your largest utility. Um, Right. And in the case of the example that we were using earlier, where they bought this house, the HVAC unit was actually really old and the the inspector called it like a Frankenstein unit because it's kind of like they had added, you know, something broke and they put this on. And so it wasn't great. And it probably wasn't going to be the healthiest thing for these clients. I recall so, finding some discoloration and staining and damage underneath that air conditioning system. Yeah, it wasn't great. And so the HVAC inspector was able to give them a cost of what it would cost to re- replace the whole unit versus just like, let's try to make this work. And so I think that's a benefit, especially if you have chronic illness and we're dealing with a house with an old HVAC unit that they might decide to replace it just so they have the healthiest air coming in as possible. So let's work then on the next big topic, or it might not be next for your process. So feel free to interject other things, but I can't help but think about it. And I know the topic mainly today is on mold or microbials is having a mold inspector come in. You know, mold inspectors uh, can be expensive uh, and it's a lot to consider when you haven't even purchased the home. You may not, you may walk. Um, and there's also the topic of DIY, uh, do it yourself um, sampling out there. So that's a whole other uh, video uh, interview, to be honest with you. But what is your approach in general? Again, when working with people with chronic illness, do you always recommend uh, number one, an inspector, a mold inspector, and is there times where you would not spend it because, again, something was a deal breaker? How how do you orchestrate and coordinate that for the benefit of your client? So it's tough because obviously we want the house to be healthy for like an indoor air quality um, environment for these clients, but they also don't want the roof to be caving in, and they don't want all these other major issues like I've seen one that the client wasn't a he didn't have a chronic illness but the cabinets it was this house was a flip and the cabinets were like in the kitchen falling off the wall and other stuff and it's kind of like I don't know this doesn't seem great like everything was put together great in this house so even though it's super important for the house to be healthy for the client we also have to make sure it's structurally going to be a good house. And so in addition to hiring a mold inspector, we like get a sewer scope to make sure that the sewer line is, doesn't have any cracks, doesn't have any root intrusions, doesn't have any issues with that, because that could be an issue later on where it's coming back, backing up into the house. Again, environmentally, that would be terrible. So for, again, not a lot of money, it would be worth it to get that inspected as well. The timing comes down and I feel like it's different for every individual client. Maybe for them, they're like, I want to get a mold inspector in there first, just to make sure, do a visual assessment, see if they see anything. If they do see something suspect, maybe under the sink, or maybe there's something on a wall or down at the baseboards or something that they want to get tested, we can do that before they do the home inspection and and all of these other inspections. Other clients are like, let's just do it all at one time. That's what we did on this other house. You came out to look at it actually. At the same time, the home inspector was there. And um, I think we had the termite guy and the HVAC guy there all at the same time. And so it really just depends. It's an individual approach depending on the client. So, and what's, most important. But I feel like all of these individual inspections go back to the overall health of the home too. So the termite inspector might see some water damage issues that the the home inspector will see too and say, you know, there's water damage here. That should be fixed. That's something that a termite inspector also calls out on his approach on his report, not just um that there's actual termite tubes. So they call out um, areas that are conducive to termite activity. Um, so it all it, it's all a total package and that's really where I sit down with clients and figure out what our best approach is, what's the most important to them and how much time do we have for inspections. 
and what what do you want to really what's most important to them you know the 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 term that came to mind was hand holding uh and, and very familiar with me a, a lot of the uh, consultations that I do with clients uh, that's really what it boils down to a combination of educating and then really being that quarterback uh, to use a corny example and trying to make those plays with them that honor the client first um, so much to talk about on that alone but the point is is that uh, what I hear from you is it's not always straight away there's not a playbook uh, to use the same analogy that says in every situation you, you got to do it in this order and, and this is what's going to look like because there might be an underlying issue uh, that has nothing or very little to do with environment. Uh, by the way, if the roof's bad, um, you may love the home and actually feel good and may even be able to recover in that home. But when you realize that it's a $25,000 fix, uh, that item might be scrapped. So I think the t- key takeaway here, there's a few of them, but is that you're working with a realtor that truly has your interest in mind, that they understand even the concept and they don't try to do things like dismiss or downplay your own concerns because then you start wondering whether they have your interest in mind or their bottom line commission um, to serve you and, and, and be educated and understand. The other thing that you mentioned is, uh, which I want to hit on, is the inspection period. Um, in, in many cases, one of the challenges I see is that uh, say, for example, someone makes an offer on a house and there's a standard 10-day inspection period and they'll call you up on day seven and say, hey, uh, we'd like to have a mold inspection done. And like, no problem. I'll get there in two weeks. That's my next available. Now, this problem exists for many inspectors, especially now. Um, they're, they're, we're in a lot of demand and, and we just don't have the time. And coordination is so key when you can do it, knowing ahead of time and, and, and reaching out to an inspector and as a realtor and say, Hey, listen, I have Mrs. Smith, my client, and I'm anticipating that we may be looking what's your availability and truly being an advocate to get ahead of the curve. Um, so that that person becomes available is key. What, what are our options though, with extending, I'm always an advocate of telling my clients extend the inspection period as if, as if it was just an easy thing to do. And I, and I know there's value if you can extend it. Great. But what are some of the challenges that you see? So, in my opinion, it's better to add more days to the inspection period when we're making the offer than try to extend it once we're already under contract. I'll say so. And the, you're talking about the initial offers, not just about how much money you're willing to offer, but there's terms and conditions, one of which is right. to say we'd like a 15-day? Sure. Yeah. There's So like you said, there's a standard 10-day inspection period. But... So I love my inspectors. My home inspector is wonderful, but a lot of other people also love him. So he's not always easy to get at the very beginning of the home inspection period. So even when I have a client who doesn't have chronic illness, I try to get 12 days. Um, And it's as simple as putting it on the contract. But when we're negotiating all these other terms and someone might come in and say, we'll do it in seven days you can also shorten it to make your offer stand out a little bit more. Um, it's, it can be challenging. Normally, two extra days, most people don't have an issue with. And I explained to the listing agent, less than I don't intend to take all 12 days or 14 days or 15 days, whatever we decide. But I would rather put it on there now and finish sooner than have to extend it later. So this way, it's all up front. Everybody's aware of what's going on. Um, but it can be challenging depending on, you know, are there multiple offers on this house? And so sometimes sellers don't care. They're going to be like, well, they offered 10000 more than these other offers, so they can take their 15 days. I don't mind. Um, but it's, it is one of the things that we have to consider because it is a point of negotiation. Because obviously, the longer a house is off the market, and should that buyer cancel, now it's been off the market, let's say 15 days, because we took the whole 15, where someone said that they would have done it in 10 days, and then it would have come back on the market five days faster. So, Well, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but let's say we go with the example of uh, standard 10-day inspection. What I understand is that, okay, so let's say that home inspector or, or, or anybody, uh, the mold inspector comes out and they find a problem. Doesn't that allow you to extend with uh, the inspection period for other allowances And case in point would be this you have a mold inspector comes out on eight, day eight of your 10-day mold inspection finds a problem the next day you know puts out a report and that's if you rush the results so now you got one day left but that's not necessarily a deal breaker 
if the clients are in love with this home, but they still want to see what this might financially cost to professionally remediate this uh, or and, and test this, which by the way, on IEP radio, four-part remediation testing series, you can f- learn more about that for those of you that are interested. Doesn't that open up the option of this whole contractual process to say, well, now we'd like to have a mold remediation company come out there and get you a bid in the and then, but that's going to take an extra three days. And you've, you've gone over, you've gone over the inspection period at that point. So we can't how does go that over work? without, if you go over, so we have 10 days standard to do inspections. We have to get the sellers, the um, it's called the Binzer real estate. We love our acronyms. The Binzer stands for buyer's inspection notification seller response. So this is the form where we ask the seller, here's what we want you to fix. We want you to fix the roof. We want you to um, fix the leaky sink. And we want you to do remediation of your entire kitchen. The seller then has five days to get back to us on if they're going to fix everything. Um, They have three options. Yes, we're going to fix everything. No, we're not going to do anything that you asked for. Or there's a spot for them to list the items that they are going to do. So maybe they're like, yes, we'll fix the roof and we'll fix the sink, but we're not doing remediation. Then the buyer has five days once they receive that response. So it's not 10 by five, because if we sent the Binzer over on day eight, that's when the seller's five days starts. And if they send over the response on day three of their five days, then our five days starts then. So we have to keep with certain timelines. If we don't send it, if we don't send the Binzer within our 10 days or 12 days, whatever inspection period is, then it's like we're accepting the house the way it is. So, so then let it's me important let, not to miss the deadline. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so then what about this? This comes up a lot. Buyers find a problem through their inspections. You guys submit a Binzer to say we want you guys to use the example of remediating the kitchen okay Mm -hmm. the buyer or the seller says okay we'll do that here's what we hear a lot what if we don't like or trust the company they're going to hire to do the remediation work what kind of wiggle room what kind of leverage do the buyers have to pick let's say just for example you happen to know a remediation company that you do trust and with somebody that you know understands uh, chronic illness. Um, can they recommend they hire a certain company as part of that deal? So part of real estate, and I think I explain this to people a lot because they're like, we want someone who's going to fight for us and who's going to do this and this and this. And of course, that's what you want. But I also like to play nice with the other, with the listing agent and have an open line of communication with them. So we can talk and it can be like, listen, you know, they have a chronic illness. This is super important that this is remediated the right way. We have to have a proper company come out because I've had it before where we found mold and we're like, this needs to be remediated properly. And the seller or the listing agents like, there's no mold. It's fine. There might be some water damage or whatever. We'll just have our contractor come out here and rip out the cabinet and put a new cabinet in. And we know that that's not the proper way. No containments, nothing like that would be terrible for a client with chronic illness. So we really, I have had to do some educating with other agents and explain like they did find mold. And in that, in this case, they did, they peeled away the kick plate underneath the sink and did find mold. And so they agreed to remediate it properly with a company that I recommended who came out there during our inspection period and gave an estimate for the remediation. Um, So there, I mean, we would like to say, yes, we're going to push for this. The other, that's another reason why I want, if we do find mold, maybe it's something obvious. We don't need to have you or someone else come out and test, right? If it's an obvious mold issue, we can have one of the remediation companies that I work with come out and give an estimate right away. So now the buyer knows how much it's going to cost should they have to do the repairs themselves. And the seller also has an idea. So they're not like, oh, shoot, I have to get someone out here within five days to get this estimate. And maybe people are busy this way we are trying to help as much as we can, even the other side. So um, 
that's why it's important to get someone out there to give us that estimate. And then we can say on the Binzer, use this company. Now the seller doesn't have to, they can come back with their response and say, we're gonna use this company instead. Or sometimes what we have happen is the seller agrees to give a credit for the repairs that the buyer can do after closing and then they can hire the company that they want. Which is so, great because it gives a little bit more flexibility, uh, uh, more control with right. the buyer to say, okay, I got this money I can now use and I can use it however I want, meaning I can hire who I want and, yeah. and to help quarterback or execute the work. Which people like better. I mean, it's nice to have the house ready to go before you move in, but sometimes sellers are like, I still have to live here, you know, until I can move out. And now you want to tear up my entire kitchen. Like, that's just not practical while we're trying to get packed to move. And, and I get it. We've all been there where we're on the other side, where the seller trying to get ready to go. And now we have all these repairs to do. So a lot of times the seller will agree to a credit so that the buyer can do it later and take on the responsibility, but they also get it done the way they want it done. This is so many uh, pearls of information you've just provided uh, this idea of open lines of communication, which Seems straightforward, but again, if everyone's kind of living in their day-to-day -day robotic lives and not paying attention and not truly being an advocate, they might not have thought to make that phone call to the seller's agent. The critical thinking is also huge. Um, um, you walk into a home, maybe it's during the pre-screen, um, or maybe it is during a more thorough assessment where now there's been an offer and a contract, and now the inspection period clock is turning, that you see something that is obvious. A realtor who doesn't understand, um, you know, this is significant water staining or discoloration or microbial growth could have saved potentially two, three, if not more days by bypassing. Uh, and there are exceptions like anything else in life, an inspector and going right towards a trusted remediation company to go in there for the purposes of offering a bid. Because again, it's about trying to your, your, your realtor is not just sitting, sitting back, kicking back, doing nothing. They're trying to juggle so many different aspects of, this home and you being able to get it because the seller could just say, no, I don't accept. Or, you know, there's so many human factors. Uh, communication is key and the right type of communication is key because, you know, people won't officially say it, but they may not, they'd be more willing to bend and listen to you when you come across in an open, respectful manner that, and we're talking to the realtors right now, the ability to communicate and say, Hey, here's what we're working with. We really love the home really to be an ambassador, remind the seller that we really are interested uh, in your home. And, and, you know, this, 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 you're, you're basically explaining to these folks that, you know, we may need to have some concessions here, but the critical thinking comes into play is like what you just said about a credit versus trying to fix it and trying to get that house that you otherwise like and want, and it all worked out in the end, you may have to negotiate a little bit and compromise a little bit in a way that doesn't dishonor your health concerns, but changes the order of when you wanted things done. And quite honestly, I totally agree with Jennifer on this whole concept of getting a credit, because quite honestly, I wouldn't trust what, who the seller buys nine times out of 10 to do the work for you. Because usually, historically, they're going to hire the lowest bidder, and, and you're going to find it some company that uh, does contracting as their main job and mold as a side job, and they don't follow industry standards. And that's that worst fear stuff. Uh, that we see oftentimes. So that's excellent uh, information to give. Um, you brought something up to me offline. I want to bring up now uh, to the audience because we're in that market and that is a seller's market. Um, we had an in-depth conversation about a week ago in preparation for this call uh, about the struggles, you know, what we want as a, as, as a person with chronic illness, uh, having a realtor that honors and understands your health and is an advocate does that critical thinking and the open lines of communication that Jennifer so clearly explained. But we don't always live in a perfect world. Right now, the, the market's pretty tight. There's not a lot of inventory. It is a seller's market. I find that a seller's market is the most challenging environment to negotiate with. Could you touch? Can you talk to that point a little bit? Right. So we are in a seller's market. Um, I think the that is like if it's anything less than six months of inventory, technically it's a seller's market. So the last time I checked, I think we were around a month, maybe a little bit less of inventory, which means if another house never got listed today in a month, we'd be out of houses. Like there would not be enough houses for the buyers that are looking. 
So we are in like an extreme seller's market. Houses are getting multiple offers. Sometimes, I mean, I had one in February that I received 15 offers on. So it's crazy right now. And we're offering over list price. I got um, a buyer under contract a couple of weeks ago and her on their house, we went 15,000 over almost 16,000 over to get the house, um, which is crazy. But I also feel like, you know, prices are starting to rise. And so it's, we're always like, is it, is it the house going to appraise for that much? So it's tough all the way around, no matter how you look at it. Um, but interest rates are still low. So it's still a good time to buy a house if you can find one because money's cheap. So it's kind of, people are like, should I buy now? I'm like, yes, we don't know when interest rates are going to start going up. But obviously that creates issues when we're trying to make an offer on a house. We're going to probably have to offer over asking price to get the house. Um, I just had one accepted on Friday and we didn't have to offer. We offered list price and it was amazing. We got it accepted. There wasn't multiple offers. So it's like a surprise when that happens now. Um, but it also creates a problem when we're trying to negotiate things like a longer inspection date. Um, or you know, if you need any seller concessions for your closing costs. And also sometimes sellers, lately I've worked with really great sellers, but there are ones that are gonna be like, it's a seller's market, I don't have to fix anything. So you can do your inspections, but we're not gonna fix it if you but find something wrong. So it's, it's, I have to set expectations up front with my clients. Meaning if you love this house, there might be a, a, the seller might fix things. Our contract says that they don't have to fix anything. Houses are sold as is, but obviously we're given an opportunity to have the seller fix certain items. But you have to prepare yourself that that might not happen. So on the example we used earlier where you came in there and did the, the mold inspection and everything, the HVAC unit needed to be replaced. It was old and there was, you found water damage under there and there was mold and the seller refused to fix those things, but the buyers love the house enough that they decided it was worth it for them to spend the money to make those changes to get the house that they want. So best case scenario, we can get the seller to do things like remediation if needed, replace you know other items that would be an issue, but we have to go into it thinking that they probably won't. And if they do, then it's a bonus. Yeah. And you made a really, uh, just a reality check point to me earlier as well offline. Uh, and that was the phrase that sometimes in the market and knowing that the ultimate goal is your health, that is the focus point here and giving you the highest level of confidence that the new home is going to be safe for you, safe enough, meaning you're able to live a healthy life and recover with whatever illness you're dealing with that you maybe have to walk away from that house. Um, and I think that's a really easy sell, a point for you to understand uh, because you have that background working with people with chronic illness. But unfortunately, there's a lot of realtors where even if it's nothing nefarious, um, they don't really understand chronic illness and you get into issues of just, ah, don't worry about it, you're fine, accept it. And they might not have uh, your best priorities in mind, which leads to the back to the very beginning point is that are you working with a realtor who is demonstrating that they are putting your needs first? Um, and one such sign is when you start realizing that the house, uh, the process is going too fast or they're finding too many problems um, and you're not seeing the realtor respond in kind or giving you reasonable alternatives that still honor your health. Like maybe it's an issue of, yeah, we did find a problem. Do you want to have this looked at? Uh, here's what it might cost to remediate. If you're not seeing that sort of behavior, that's kind of a yellow flag that they may not have your your best interests and intentions in mind. So uh, such a reality check is, is it's unfortunate that a lot of folks who have chronic illness, it seems like everything just slows down. The ability to make a decision is more effort. You have more things to consider. Uh, everything's seemingly more expensive and you can't, you, do, you can't be afraid to walk away from something that just doesn't feel right. Because again, we're not talking about back, buying a bag of potato chips where if you buy it and you made a bad decision, it's not the end of the world. You're talking about a large investment uh, and we want you to feel the most confident. So thank you for, you know, bringing that home. Um, well, take away. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great realtors. I mean, Tucson has, I think something like over 5,000 realtors in it. There's 
like in any industry, there's going to be some that aren't so good and some that are better than others. And those are going to be the ones that take the time to educate themselves either on issues like this, or they go through additional schooling to, you know, they get their broker's license, they get these designations that just give them more knowledge. So sometimes they're not trying to be bad realtors, but they are just inexperienced and not knowledgeable about, you know, chronic illness and working in that environment with these types of um, patients that need a little bit more um, attention too, especially with the inspection process in the house and making sure it's healthy. So it's, um, like I said, it's not always their fault. Got it. Well, listen, um, and speaking of which, to that point, a lot of times people, uh, for those of you as realtors, especially looking for information um, to learn more about chronic illness, try visiting IEP Radio. We have a, a number of episodes that talk about um, chronic illness and what that looks like, a bunch of wonderful interviews with some well-known names um, so that you can understand what we're talking about here. This is not an allergy. This is not somebody not, uh, that you're working with who has some sort of uh, seasonal issue. This is something that can uh, affect their um uh, innate immune system. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, it, you might think of it as a disease. Um, episode nine is a great episode to learn some basics and fundamentals. Uh, Jennifer, before I let you off today, um, I, I, I want to ask you, let's take a summary overview takeaways for the listeners. So much good information done today. If they're at the top, whatever five or 10 things that you can say for a realtor to keep in mind, start to finish, they would be what? I think First and foremost is to have patience because sometimes, I mean, most of us who have been in the business for enough time know that even people without chronic illness, sometimes are going to go under contract on a house and they're going to discover too many things wrong or for whatever reason they have to cancel and we have to start the search again. So it can be tough, but you have to have lots of patience because it's going to, sometimes it could take a while. It could take a while especially in the market that we're in, like I mentioned, a seller's market, there's just not enough houses for everybody. So it might take us a little bit longer anyways to find a house um, that's healthy for a chronic illness patient. So we need to um, have lots of patience. Absolutely. Um, and then really familiarize, and it, it helps, um, I think if you're if you do have a chronic illness to do a lot of research on your own. So maybe you are working with a realtor that you like in general. They're a great realtor, but they don't have a lot of experience um, dealing with home shopping when you have a chronic illness. You might try to educate them too, just to say here or here's a resource that you can go to. Like Mike just showed all of his um, podcasts. That would be a good place to start um, to try to find the information on how you can best help your client. Um, I don't know if I got five things, babe. I well, mean... you you know you've stated more. <laughs> you there your point about patience. I forgot. Obviously, a very key point there is having that um, understanding that you wake up every day and you wonder what am I going to do to make the world a better place? We all love that idea. We don't know that we all practice it, but we certainly want to. And the question then becomes, what are you doing to help make this world better? And how can you separate yourself if possible to help those that are in need? Because the supply of people with chronic illness are plentiful, supply of knowledgeable uh, realtors are not. Um, and I always thought that you're a truly, it might be, um, biased uh giving given our relationship but obviously the fact that we've had clients that we've been able to work to together we both have learned the process uh from each other and being able to come up with a really killer approach which really again is just being an advocate it's recognizing and it's working through and i think that to the point of what are the takeaways beyond patience uh it's that uh, open line of communication the critical thinking it's it's the pre-screening of the house. Um, are there any deal breakers? Can your realtor go out there and do some uh, virtual stuff? Maybe it's got to be pre-recorded. You know, what can they do to really give you a true idea of this home? 
Um, if you're chemically sensitive and it smells like a paint factory in the home, that might be a deal breaker for you. Um, right. That kind of a thing. Um, and also it gives you an idea of what inventory you're looking at. I mean, if there's 10 homes and uh, five of them are horrible and five of them are great, you're probably going to ignore the five horrible ones. And then you get into the issue of um, inspection, getting in on it early, having a, a, a realtor who um, and can anticipate to the extent possible. I understand that we don't have a crystal ball here on when a house might go under contract ahead of time so that you can at least communicate with these resources. It's like you say, the good ones are always busy. Um, and so your home inspector, you know, if you let him know and give him a heads up, that might be helpful. Um, having a home inspection done, having the HVAC done, having the sewer inspected done almost seems like an automatic minimum. Um, that whole, Getting that mold inspector involved um, they don't need to be uh, the all-seeing eye, but a home inspector, like any other trade, are, is used to looking for signs and evidence of things that, say, a, a home inspector or a roofer or an electrician may miss. Uh, that paint bubbling that you just just ignored, you didn't think it was a problem, could indicate that there's bad flashing around an exterior window. And lo and behold, there's mold in the wall. And lo and behold, you're talking about a $3,000 uh, remediation um, job, not to mention the cost to fix the window. Um, so it's worth spending that kind of money. And then more importantly, having that realtor during the exchange, we, uh, Jennifer mentioned the Benzer and the negotiation period and, and, and being a good effective communicator is key because let's face it, we all act professional while we're on the clock, but there's a personal side to it. And if you have somebody who is kind of bulldogish or short, you're probably not going to get as much as you think you want when if you would have had somebody that had a very generous, respectful, kind approach to the seller's agent, you might find they may be more willing to give you that credit and they, and and just navigating that storm because there's not, again, there's not some perfect process that will guarantee you the perfect home, but there are definitely ways to identify low hanging, even mid high hanging fruit that might prevent you from buying a lemon. Uh, and that's the takeaway here today. Jennifer, Absolutely. thank you so much uh, for uh, coming on the show today. Wealth of information, really appreciate your time and you helping out these folks with uh, chronic illness. Happy to help. The content of this show is for informational purposes and represents the sole opinion of the host and its interviewees only. Any reliance on the information provided in this show is done at your own risk. Additional opinions and or research may change our current view of the topics spoken in this show. We do our best to minimize any inaccuracies presented and make legitimate efforts to back all comments with our own field experience, independent literature, or studies that support the topics discussed. This information should not be used to make conclusive decisions regarding your health or exposure. Ultimately, all questions and or concerns regarding your health should be addressed by a qualified physician. Additional exposure concerns and or questions pertaining to the health of your home or building should be addressed by qualified and on-site professionals. Any and all products and services discussed in this show should not be construed as a recommendation, endorsement, or guarantee that their use is appropriate for your situation. In short, we hope this information is of value to you, but please do not act upon it without actual and individual consultation and guidance by professionals who have taken the time and appropriate collection of data to assess your unique situation.